All right. If you have your Bibles tonight and will, if you'll turn, please, to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews in chapter number 10. Hebrews chapter number 10. Again, I want to say it's good to be here and good to see each one of you. Thank the Lord for the privilege to come. And I mean that from my heart. Thank the Lord for it. And uh, I thought while I was praying tonight, I actually told the Lord we don't realize how good the blessings of God are until we uh, are absent from some of them and we don't realize what a blessing and what a privilege it is to come to the house of God sometimes until we're unable to come. And I'm glad to be here tonight and glad that you're here. And I desire your prayers tonight that the Lord would help us. I think I'll be a little in a little different gear than usual uh, tonight. But I feel very compelled to be here in the book of Hebrews chapter number 10. And uh, I don't know exactly how much preaching... Uh, Per se that I'll do it may seem more like a Bible study, but I really feel like this is where the Lord would have us to be. And I was reading uh, in this book and have been for a little while now in my uh, daily reading and the Lord's been dealing in my heart about some things and has uh, shown me some things that I really hadn't seen before. And uh, I felt the need to share some of those with you tonight if God would be my helper. Hebrews chapter 10, let's stand together if you're able. And uh, I want to read uh, several verses. I don't know how many of them we'll cover tonight, but I want to read several and uh, try our best to give you for what the Lord has given to us for the service tonight. Hebrews chapter 10, we'll begin reading in verse number 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God." Above, when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, 
from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he had perfected forever them that are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. Their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. Now, you and I know, for the most part, I'm satisfied about the background of the book of Hebrews. That the apostle here, whoever, uh, that many believe that this is the apostle Paul writing, I do personally I believe that. I don't think that it's really uh, makes much difference. We know that God's the author. He just chose a human penman to pin down his word. But the majority of scholars and writers and readers believe uh, that the Apostle Paul would be the one doing the writing here in the book of Hebrews. But nevertheless, the focus tonight is not so much on the author, on the writer, but it is on the audience. Those uh, that the apostle is writing to. He's writing to Hebrew believers. He's writing to those who have been saved out from under the law, that they have come out from under Judaism, that they have forsaken of the traditions and the rituals of the Old Testament which the apostle here sets forth in the fact that they cannot take away sin and now they've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, by the sacrifice that Christ made. And But many of them, you have to understand that when Christ went out onto the shores that day and they followed him, and the Bible said that he began to be received up out of their sight, that they stood there and two men in white apparel stood by them and said, you men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven, this same Jesus, which you see taken away, shall so come again in like manner. And they believed that the Lord would come in their lifetime. We know and understand that Jesus told them to tarry at Jerusalem until they be indeed repaired from on high and that they would be witnesses of him unto Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. 
that you and I know that in the book of Acts the, the Holy Ghost came on the day of Pentecost and they were all assembled together in that upper chamber uh, and there came the sound of a mighty rushing wind and cloven tongues of fire appeared and set on them and they all began to preach and every man heard in his own language and the Spirit of God came upon them and they were filled and the Bible speaks about Peter standing and preaching under the anointing and the unction of the Holy Ghost on that day and thousands were added to the church on that day and the church went forth and from that period on the church entered in to what we know as the last days. Now we think about that term being just in our day but we are in the last of the last days. The term last days is a very broad term and so in saying that we understand that the Hebrew believers thought and believed that the Lord would return in their lifetime. They thought that he would establish and set up his earthly kingdom very soon. And then as time passed and some of them died and the Lord still had not yet returned, they began to be discouraged. They were under great affliction. They were under great persecution from those that were still under the law. You have to understand they left behind their families. They left behind their parents, some their children, some others and they forsook them to follow Jesus and now those that they had forsaken began to mock them and question them and doubts and fears began to enter into their mind that maybe there was something lacking maybe they needed to go back under the law and so many of them began to retreat back to Judaism began to mix works with grace the book of Hebrews is not the only epistle of the New Testament to address that. There are other writings of the Apostle Paul that he addresses that we are saying. Matter of fact, in the book of Ephesians, of that verses that we know so well that says we're saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves it is the gift of God but not of works lest any man should boast. But those words were written to refute of the mixing of law and grace. And so here the Apostle begins to encourage them and he sets out to persuade them and remind them that everything they have in Christ is far better than anything they ever had under the law. Their circumstances had changed their focus. Their situation, the things that they were going through, the situation of their days had changed their focus. They had lost focus of all that they had in Christ. I began to read just the other night and the Lord began to deal with my heart out of chapter number 10 and I think that it's much the same and that you and I can relate in our day. I think that the circumstances of our day, the situations we find ourselves in are the things that we look at in our day and the shape that the world's in, that our nation's in, that society is in. Oftentimes lose our attention away and we forget all that we really have in Christ. That's what it happened to the Hebrew believers. They forgot. They lost sight of everything 
that they had in Christ. And so the apostle begins to write and compare the Old Testament and all the ordinances and the types and the shadows of the law to what they had in Christ. It doesn't just begin in chapter number 10. We could go back and we won't for sake of time tonight, but we could go back and look all the way to chapter number 7. He begins in chapter 7 and 8. He compares the Old Testament priesthood to Christ's better priesthood in chapter number 9. He compares the earthly tabernacle, the Old Testament, to the work of Christ in the heaven, heavenly tabernacle on the mercy seat of God in the holy place in heaven, how that it's much better and the sacrifice of Christ. Then he comes to chapter number 10. Here in this chapter, he's going to deal and going to compare the law with Christ. Everything under the law and the imperfections of the law and then the perfection of Christ. As a matter of fact, the apostle here is going to, in chapter number 10, he's going to bring the law very low. He's not saying that the law is abolished. It's not. Matter of fact, the Bible said, God forbid, the law is still intact. The law is the schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. The law was <coughs> the mirror for us to look into to see what we had done wrong the law was to condemn us but Christ the Bible said he came not to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved the world was already in condemnation and it was in condemnation under the law because no man could fulfill the law from Adam all the way to the present day there's never been a man a woman a boy or a girl that could ever fulfill the law and because of that mankind is in condemnation but it is Christ that brings us out of condemnation it is Christ that brings us out of darkness a Christ that clears away our guilt a Christ that remedies our condition a Christ that is the remission for our sin a Christ that is the propitiation that's the substitute that's the sacrifice that's the atonement for our sin and so the apostle here is going to bring the law very low in the fact that it was not perfect could not make the colors perfect could not redeem nor save man but then not only is he going to bring the law very low but he's going to exalt Christ very high there's always if you study the book of Hebrews. I don't know if anybody's getting anything out of this tonight or not. I hope you are. It's been on my heart and it helped me to study. Last night, the Lord got the stern in my heart and I rejoiced in some things in this chapter and I hope that by the time we get done by the help of the Lord, that you can rejoice in some things too. But everywhere in the book of Hebrews that you read, if you'll go home, it'll do you good to begin. I know it can be a difficult book, but if you'll begin at chapter one, just take your time. Even if you have have to reread the chapter several times you'll always find out that in every chapter of the book of Hebrews there's always a pivot in verse there's always a change there's always a transition in chapter number 10 it's verse number 12 Paul or the writer here is spent verse 1 through 11 talking about the Old Testament the priests the sacrifices their imperfection their inability and then he says in verse number 12 but this man 
And so it all changes. This is the turning point of chapter 10. No longer is the writer going to talk about the law and what it could not do. But now he's going to talk about Christ and the fact that what the law could not do, Christ did everything that the law could not do. Matter of fact, in verse number 1, the Bible said that the law was just a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of those things. The word shadow in verse number one, it means a sketch, an outline, a representation. It would be comparing the law and what it could not do to Christ and what it could do would be like comparing the blueprint to the actual building. Oh, the blueprint has all the details. The blueprint can show you what to do and how to do it but the building is the only thing that can serve their true purpose. The blueprint, the blueprint can't shelter you from the cold. The blueprint cannot keep the rain off your head. The blueprint cannot function as a place to live. And that's how the law was. It had all the details. It was perfect by the giving of God. The law was perfect. But it could not make anybody perfect. And so what the law could not do, Christ did what the blueprint could not do the building can do and so the apostle said the law is not all there is the law is just a shadow it's just a sketch it's just an outline of the good things that ought to come in Christ then I want you to notice and I, I won't be much longer I don't think I hope it makes sense to you tonight I want you to notice all the negative words that the writer here uses about the law. In verse number one, he uses the word never. He said they can never with those sacrifices that they offered year by year continually make the commerce there too perfect. The law and the sacrifice under the law could not make anybody perfect. It can't, could never. In verse number four, it said it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sin. It is and was not, is not today still a possibility for anybody to keep the law good enough to take away their sin. It's not a possibility. No sacrifice that was given under the law had the possibility of taking away the sin of man. In verse number five, he said, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he say a sacrifice and offering, thou wouldest not but a body that hast thou prepared me. And so it makes the difference. Uh, the writer here makes the difference or shows the difference of Christ compared to the other sacrifices. They were animals. Uh, Christ was a human, just like you and I, we understand that he was the God-man. Uh, the Bible said there is but one mediator uh, between God and me and the man. Uh, Christ Jesus, the Bible said became flesh and dwelled among us. It behooved him. The writer said to be made like unto his brethren. He took upon him a form of a servant and was made in the likeness of sinful men. He who knew no sin was made to become sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. No sacrifice had ever been made like the sacrifice that Christ made. All the others were, were animals, bulls, goats, 
turtle doves, bullocks, all of those things. And they could never, the Bible said, they could never. It was not possible they could not make the comers perfect. They were offered over and over and over again. The writer said if they could make the comers perfect, would they have not ceased to be offered? But they weren't. They were not ceased to be offered in the Old Testament. It had to be done every year. The Bible said in verse number 3, there's a remembrance in those sacrifices made of sin every year. See what happened on the Hebrew Day of Atonement. The high priest went in and he offered this sacrifice and it just appeased the wrath of God. It just rolled back the sins of the people for a year. It never took them away. It atoned for them. The word atone means to cover. They were just covered for a time. But there come a time when that year was expired that the priest had to go in again. And not just once a year, but there were also the daily ministrations of the priest. The tabernacle was a very bloody place because the blood of goats and cows could never take away sin. But God wasn't looking for in the New Testament age, in the age of grace, in the church dispensation, God wasn't looking for a sacrifice of blood for goats and calves or a burnt offering. He was looking for a perfect sacrifice. Peter called Christ the Lamb of God. John called Christ the Lamb of God. On the shores of the Jordan River, John said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Nobody had ever heard language like that. I mean, they're still in the Old Testament age at that point. They're still following Old Testament tradition. No sacrifice could ever take away sin. They're made a remembrance of them every year. Matter of fact, verse number four says it very plainly. It's not possible that they should take away sins. But John said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Peter said, We're not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold received by tradition from our fathers, but we are redeemed by the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. And so Christ came with a different body than the animals before for a different sacrifice. All the other animals, they did not voluntarily lay their lives down. They were constrained to do so. They were taken by force. They were dragged under the altar. They were haltered there. They were bound up and tied and their life was taken from them. But Christ was different. See, everything Christ did while he was on the earth, he didn't say things just to take up time or fill up space. He didn't say things just to be saying, but he said, no man take my life from me. And there's great truth to that and there's great importance to that. All the other sacrifices that had ever been made their lives had been taken from them. The goats were brought in not willingly. The bulls were brought in not willingly. They did not consciously. They could not. They had no conscience. They had no ability to voluntarily give their life. And so Christ said, No man takes my life, but I lay it down in my own power. And so here in the, the Word of God in the book of Hebrews, he said, A body thou hast prepared me and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written to do thy will, O God. Christ said, I've come to do the will of God. That's what he prayed 
in the Garden of Eden. He said, or in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, not my will, but thine be done. He said, if there's any other way that this cup may pass except I drink it, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And so he became a voluntary sacrifice. That's what made him one of the things that made his sacrifice so much better than all the rest. No man took his life. The Roman soldiers didn't take his life. He stood before Pilate and Pilate said, don't you hear what they're saying about you? And he didn't answer a word. Pilate said, no, you're not. I have power over you to release you or to, or to crucify you. And Jesus said, you have no power over me except that that is given me from above. And so no man had paid. He laid his life down of his own accord. He said, I have power and to lay it down. I have the power to take it again. Again. So the writer here talks about the better sacrifice. And it says again in verse number 11, these sacrifices, the same sacrifices, over and over and over again, which can never take away sin. And then he gets to verse number 12, and he says, but this man. And now the whole chapter's going to change. He spent all these verses and all this time uh, talking about what the law could not do, uh, trying to bring the law low in the eyes of the Hebrews uh, to cause them to see what good things, uh, what better things. By the way, the word better is the key word of the book of Hebrews. It appears many, many times and it always speaks uh, of what Christ did is far better than what anybody else could do. And so the apostle writes and he says these sacrifices can't make us perfect. These sacrifices can't take away sin. These sacrifices are offered over and over and over again. These sacrifices are not voluntary. These sacrifices can't fulfill the true work. But then he said, but this man, in verse number 12, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, now that's language that they had never heard before. That's not Old Testament law language. There was not one sacrifice forever. But this man offered one sacrifice for sin forever. You say, how is that possible? Well, the apostle addresses it in one of the other chapters. He said, neither by the blood of goats and cows, but by his own blood. He entered in once in the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. So here he says, this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, so he's brought the law way low, and that is going to exalt Christ very highly. And he's going to point the Hebrew believers and remind them of everything they have in Christ that it's not of works, it's not of the law, it's not of deeds, it's not of goats, it's not of calves, it's not of burnt offerings, it's not of heave offerings, it's not of wave offerings and all the offerings that are in the Old Testament. None of that has to do with our dispensation. He said that this man offered one sacrifice for sins forever. Said now he sat down at the right hand of God. From henceforth, expect until his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering, now I want you to get this, and I'll be done in just a minute. Look at verse 14 compared with verse number one. Now verse number one said it that those sacrifices under the law could never 
make the comers perfect. But verse number 14 says, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. So what the law could not do, it could not ever make the comers perfect. Christ did by one offering of the offering of his son, he perfected forever the people of God. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. It is a witness of our perfection. Not that we're sinlessly perfect in this life, but the inner man is made perfect after Christ. For after that he had said before, this, co- this is the covenant that I'll make with them. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law into their hearts and in their minds will I write them in their sins. Now listen to verse number 17 compared to verse number 3. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now verse number 3 said in those sacrifices, that's the Old Testament sacrifice under the law, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. But, but Christ said their sins and iniquities that are purged by his offering he would remember no more. So everything that the apostle has said about the law and its inability, now he's showing them that Christ had the ability to do what the law was unable to do. Verse number 18, now where the remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. In verse number 4, it said it's not possible to take away sin. In verse number 11, it said it could never take away sin and so they had to continually be offered. But verse number 18 said, now where remission of these is, that is remission of sins and iniquities. There is no more offering for sin. There's no more need for the same sacrifice over and over and over again because this man offered one sacrifice forever for sin. They say, preacher, that don't mean a whole lot to us because we never lived under the law. Well, then we go on. And this is what he says in verse number 19. If you'll give me just a minute, I'll be done. Having therefore, so anytime we see the word therefore in the word of God, it links everything that has been said to what's fixing to be said. So on the basis of the fact that Christ fulfilled the law and did everything for us that the law could not do and that we could not do for ourselves because of his sacrifice, because of his offering, because of our perfection through him, because he remembers our sins and iniquities no more, because our sins are remitted and there's no more offering for sin, having therefore, brethren, that's us that are saved, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. So the reason that we can go back, I think it's in Hebrews chapter 4, and read the fact that we can come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. The apostle here is saying the reason that we can do that, the reason we can have boldness, the reason we have the access is by the blood of Jesus. Had we still been under the law, we would not have access. We would have to depend on a man uh, who was called the high priest to go in for us. Uh, We would not have access, but we now have a greater high priest, a better high priest, uh, not after the Levitical priesthood of the sons of Aaron, uh, but he is of the order of Melchizedek without beginning of days uh, nor ending of years. He's a priest forever and he abided the priest continually. And because of that, you and I have access and boldness to come into the holy place 
That's the place where the priest communed with God. That's the place where the priest had access with God. That's the place where not only did the priest speak to God, but God spoke to the priest. And now you and I, we're all kings and priests according to the New Testament and according to the Word of God, and we have access and the ability to go into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. We can pray and talk to God, and God can talk to us only because of the blood of Jesus. I'd hate to live under the law. I read through the book of Hebrews. I'm almost done with it in my daily Bible reading. Bible reading, and the whole time that I've been reading, it's been stirring my heart about what we have in Christ. But the whole time I've been thinking, I'm glad I don't live under the law. Sometimes we complain about the day we're in. I know it's dark days and hard days, but I'm glad I don't live under the law. I'm glad I live under grace. I'm glad I'm saved by grace. I'm glad I'm saved by the blood of Christ. I'm glad I've been a recipient of that sacrifice that He made once and forever. I'm glad my sins have been remitted. I'm glad He doesn't remember my sins anymore. I made mention of it maybe last Sunday or Wednesday night. I don't know when it was. But here in the verse, He don't forget our sins. Forgetting's a fall. It's something that we fail to do as humans. God doesn't forget. He has no flaws. He just has the power not to remember them anymore and so we have access by Christ by a new and living way the apostle said which he had consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh not through the veil of the temple of the Old Testament but the veil is his flesh that's where we go back to Hebrews in the earlier chapters and we read about the hope that we have as an anchor of the soul which entereth in the veil that is the flesh of Christ where Christ the forerunner hath entered for us everything that we have every hope it's kind of like that song uh, boy it stirs my heart every time I hear it uh, the songwriter said every hope that I have here in this old simple world is anchored in the blood of the Lamb. So everything we have tonight is in Christ. It's because of His sacrifice. We would have nothing that we do have had it not been for Christ and the completed work at Calvary. Then he said, and having a high priest over the house of God. So we don't have just some man like they had in the Old Testament, but we have the God man, the intercessor, the mediator. He said, and having this high priest, seeing that he's a better high priest and we have access to him, let us draw near, that's near to him, with a true heart and full assurance of faith. That we can come to Him when we pray in faith, believing that He's able, has the ability, has the power, cares enough about us to do what we need Him to do, what we're asking Him to do. Peter said to cast all our cares on Him for He careth for us. I'm glad He does care. The high priest cared about His people. And I'm glad our high priest cares more than any high priest before. He's a better priest. And so because we have Him, we can draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our body washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering for He is faithful that promise. The reason we can have faith the reason we can hold fast the profession of our faith is because the promise the one we have faith in the one we put our hope in is faithful unto us now he says and I want to close here and I'm done and let us consider one another so now Paul or the writer here is changing their focus to the brethren 
to look around. Many of them were hurting. Many of them were in affliction. Many of them were in turmoil. And Paul says, Now let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. The word provoke means to spur on, to urge. Paul said we ought to encourage one another. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together to come together. Because we cannot provoke one another unto love and good works. We cannot, we'll, fight, we'll see this word in just a minute. We cannot exhort one another without assembling together. So he says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. You've heard me many times talk about this word exhort. It means to encourage, to strengthen, to refresh, to cheer on. And the writer says so much the more as we see the day approaching. Now there's a lot of people that have conflicting views about what this day is. Some say it's the day of the coming of the Lord. Some say it's the day of our death. Either way, what it really means, regardless of what day it is, it's to do it while we still have the time. And to do it more when we realize our time's getting shorter. Now I'm going to tell you we're living in the last of the last days. And I, as I began to read through this again last night, and I don't know if you've got anything out of it tonight, but God spurred my heart and encouraged me in what Christ has done for me. And I just wanted to remind you, what he's, if you're saved tonight, what He's done for you. Really, the human mind cannot comprehend all that Christ has done for us in salvation. But I want to exhort you to continue on. I want to be an encourager in these last days. I understand there'll be times to deal with sin. There'll be times to preach hard things. There'll be times for all of that. But I pray that the Lord will help me to be an encourager of the people of God to exhort my brethren, to help you. I want to be a help to you. I prayed that God would make me a a better pastor and a better preacher. Not so I can say, look at me, but so I can be a better help to my people. I want to be an exhorter, an encourager in these last days as I look around and see the day approaching. I want to exhort you, and we ought to want to exhort one another, and so much the more in these last days. Thank the Lord for what we have in Him. If it wasn't for Him, the writer said, what would I do? We couldn't make it without Him. I'm glad tonight that we don't have to. He said He'd never leave us and never forsake us. And what the law could not do, what Old Testament sacrifice could not do, what the church could not do, what our parents couldn't do, what forefathers couldn't do, what the Baptists couldn't do, what religion couldn't do, I'm glad Christ did for us when He sacrificed Himself once forever for the offering of sin and saved us, perfected us, sanctified us, set us aside, a peculiar people. We are separated unto Him. I'm glad tonight He's able to take, if He's able to do all that, He's able to take care of us in these last days. He didn't save us to leave us. He didn't save us and say, now make it the best you can. But He's always there. The the writer said He abides. I'm glad that He does abide with us. Glad for His abiding presence. Glad for His manifested presence. We've experienced before in this assembly. I thank the Lord for Christ. And all that we have is all tied up in Him. If you took Him away, 
We wouldn't have anything. We'd just be destined and doomed for hell apart from Christ. But with Him, we have everything. The songwriter said, I went down a beggar, but I came up a millionaire. Not in material possessions. Not that we gained the whole world. Christ said if you gained the whole world and lose your own soul, what would it profit a man? But I'm glad as the writer said, I was a beggar and he was the king. I'm glad he came where I was. And now because of that, I'm a king. And so are you. That's what the Bible said. We're kings and priests together. Not of our own power, not of our own ability, not to fam our galluses, who we are, what we are, what we've accomplished, but it all is wrapped up in Him. Thank the Lord tonight for Christ. Father, I thank You, Lord, for the privilege and the opportunity to have been